won't stop firing! I think I'm being followed. My dad is turning green, like, literally green. My last nav check put me at Lagrange Point 4. This is Control, be radio. Keep calm, and remain on the guard frequency. Greetings, sits and saves, you're tuned to the Guard Frequency. As all good pilots know, when you're out in the deep black, you want to keep one ear on the guard. This is episode 79 and was recorded on July the 10th and made available for download July 14th at guardfrequency.com. I'm Lennon. I'm Jeff. And I'm Tony. What do we have this week, Tony? Well, on this week's Squawk Box, we explore contrasts in aircraft design. In CIG News, we bring you our weekly crowdfunding update, 10 for the Riders, episode 4, the latest Star Marine status update, and Ben Lesnick's response to some concerns. In this week's Nuggets for Nuggets, we check out the latest hit show coming to you from the Exploration Channel. And finally, we tune into the feedback loop and let you join in the conversation. Sits and Sivs, you can help us bring more of the show you love by visiting our website, guardfrequency.com, and clicking the Patreon button. For the low, low price of $1.25 per episode, you become a backer and get access to the unedited recordings of the show a whole four days before our Tuesday release. Of course, we're happy to share our labor of love with you each week free of charge. But it is nice to get the occasional concrete reminder that folks out there in the verse love listening to the show as much as we love making it. We thank the folks who have already chipped in and we hope you consider making a regular contribution. The more support we get, the better show we can make. And that takes care of the housekeeping, so let's get on to the show and see what's coming through the school box. Do you boys need a carrier out here? Uh, everything's under control. Situation normal. This is Tony saying welcome to the Squawk Box, everyone. You know, it's been a while since we checked up on Guard Frequency's pet fighter, the Textron Scorpion, the two-seater twin-engine baby jet with the body of an F-14 and the wings of an A-10 was in France last month for the Paris Air Show. We've got a link to a video narrated by Scorpion's test pilot Dan Hinson describing the plane's visit. This time around, the kids from the Little Hangar in southwest Wichita, Kansas, Marka, tucked an advanced electro-optical sensor pod and a ground-mapping radar in her reconfigurable belly bay. Turns out this is a good idea when your transatlantic plans include a quick jaunt across the channel to run a maritime exercise with Her Majesty's Britannic Atlantic Domination Flotilla. Yes, Lennon, I made that up. See, the Royal Navy retired its primary maritime surveillance craft in 2011. The MR2 Nimrod, no Lennon, I did not make that up, was supposed to be replaced by the M4 Nimrod. God, seriously, <laughs> Lennon, you guys had the chance to rename it, and all you did was change the model number? You kept the Nimrod? Really? Fortunately for fans of appropriately named aircraft, the project was cancelled. Unfortunately, this leaves Her Britannic Majesty's sensitive littoral regions guarded only by frigates and choppers. Anybody know of a cheap, multi-role, long-range, fixed-wing aircraft capable of mounting advanced sensors and 3,000 pounds of weapons and stores? Me? Anyone? The the Model 6 Nimrod? (laughs) No, not the Model 6 Nimrod. This little stinger will also be touring three undisclosed Central European nations for demonstrations and trials. And, you know, what Scorpion update would be complete without a quick check of the other end of the multi-role fighter spectrum, the F-35? In January, the Lightning II went mano a mano with the legendary Viper for a little BFM. That's right, ladies. That $200 million Thunder Muffin finally got a little bit of furball love doggy fighting style. Oh, yeah. Uh, There's good news and there's 
bad news. The bad news is that a two-seater F-16 with full external drop tanks can beat a completely unladen F-35 like a rented, red-headed mule stepchild drum with egg white meringue. The good news is that the F-35 that flew the test is so far behind on software upgrades that probably once the plane can actually fire its weapons sometime in 2017 or, or so, uh, that its complete lack of thrust and maneuverability will probably, you know, just have fixed itself. But, hey, guys, guys, I am not going to leave you on a down note. No way. Because Boeing has taken a look at Scorpion and Lightning and said, hey, we can do better. Unveiling the F-15SA Eagle, this brand new version of America's undefeated air combat king of the sky has been upgraded to carry more fuel, produce more thrust, deploy more weapons, and operate more sensors than any production fighter aircraft ever. There's a picture of it, we've gotten a link of it, and it's loaded with 16 air-to-air missiles. This thing literally carries enough ordnance to wipe out an entire squadron of lesser planes. And that's still not counting the 540 rounds of 20mm ammo. Rest easy, kids, knowing that 154 of these bad mothers will soon be patrolling the skies of Saudi Arabia. Oh. I promise not to leave them on a down note. So quick, guys, we got to think of something good. Come on. They're having a concept sale on the next Scorpion. Oh, that's fantastic. Oh, good. So we can all buy one? We can all get one? Yeah, like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, It's not a real one, but it's like it's a digital art. Yeah. It's a concept. Oh, good. Okay, we can all get one of those. <laughs> I might have made that up as well. Oh, maybe. Okay. Well, see, I like the Scorpion. No one's bought one yet, but they're doing so many cool things with it, including shopping it around all of Europe. Well, maybe it was just a rumor I heard, but I heard that Saudi had also purchased 12 of those. I, I, I didn't see that news, but it's entirely possible. I mean, I, just, I might not have looked hard enough for it. But that would, I mean, that'd be fantastic. And, you know, the Saudis, I mean, let's give them a tip of the hat for keeping our aircraft industry alive here in the United States. I mean, they're buying upgrade kits and like 84 new F-15s. So they're like single-handedly keeping some of the production lines open for a fighter plane that we know works. So thanks, guys. (laughs) We really appreciate it while we struggle to get the F-35 to even defend itself in air combat. Good Lord. The thing about the F-35 is that it's a multi-role fighter, and I never expected it to go head-to-head with an F-16. You know, the F-16 can't do VTOL. What's up with that? Well, neither can two-thirds of the F-35, because it's only the B-model that does that. And the fun thing is about the F-35, it can't do VTOL off of our uh, marine LHA landing carriers either, because the ex- deck exhaust is too hot. It, like, melts the deck plates right now. Yeah, I, I know. I saw that test. I, I subscribed to a Lockheed Martin video series, and it's like, oh, yeah, melted that deck, didn't you? Uh, oops. That's, like, one of those sort of oversights. We probably should have called somebody on that one like <laughs> hey guys is this a what's feature that deck made out of yeah hmm yeah Can we put some vents or something there is that can no uh, yeah oh well one of these days we're going to get this whole multi-role concept correct you, you know we can do it small and correct or we can do it huge and not so nice so let's meet somewhere in the middle on this one have you read, seen, or heard something you think might be interesting to other citizens or civilians? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Now let's check out some CIG news. 3175 Port Bay, hands on approach, checker screen, call the ball. Don't get technical with me. Our crowdfunding update for July 10th, 2015, 84,970,000. 
Jeez, guys, are we doing this again? Not hitting the milestones before the show again? I thought we had this fixed. We're up about $600,000 from last week. Star Citizens are up 5000 to 922000 And the UE fleet has grown by 3000 to 731 Thousand. Uh, the Starfair, uh, the uh, Starliner, excuse me, uh, seems to have goosed those numbers just a tiny bit. In time for the designers, episode five, Calix Renault the ninth, and Matt Sherman bring lots of great design information to all you cherished citizens. There is discussion on the PvP slider, scanning for threats, and hauling pigs in space in your cargo crates. However, we're going to talk about what we consider to be the most interesting topic of the episode: repairs. The game is intended to be personalized and customizable. So, if you like the way your ship flies with that dent in it from the time you shook hands with an asteroid, then keep flying that way. Each repair you choose to do will require an action to complete. This is great news if you're playing Mr. Goodwrench on a ship. You'll have an active role. The repair process isn't just waiting for progress bars. You'll need to diagnose the problem, then start the triage process to get the system up again. Each action will be simple in nature. Engine on fire, apply the fire extinguisher, etc. The depth of the system comes in knowing what order to fix things. Experience and circumstance will dictate repair priorities. If a shield generator is down, sometimes it's more important to just get some shields up first. Once the shields are up, you can either try to raise their strength or improve the recharge rate, or just move on to the next thing that needs fixed. If you have a repair drone, you'll give it commands and it'll work on what you tell it to. It's not going to do anything of its own volition. But in a pinch, some help is better than none. It can work on getting the rear turret working while you replace some subcomponents. Speculation, I bet NPCs will work in a similar fashion. You can also overclock a system to give a Roshi's gut, Captain, to get that Vandal bomber before it's in range of the station where you need to pick up those medical supplies for the plagued colony. However, you may want to remember to turn the hydrophramic tenderizer off before the engine blows. Your ship will have a maximum durability level and its current overall health level. As the tides of time pass over you and bullets gently fall on you like rain, the max durability will fall down. You can always repair your way to maximum health in space, but to raise your durability back up, you'll need to visit a repair station. It'll take some time to fully repair a ship. However, if while you're waiting you find yourself really angering the governor by making advances on his daughter, you can leave early before repairs are complete. It'll be in better shape than when you dropped it off, but not finished all the way. There is also a note about how many crucibles it takes to change a bangle light speed drive, but we recommend watching the episodes to get all these details. Pretty good 10 for the X episode on there. The guys talked quite a bit about the repair mechanic, and it sounded pretty good. I mean, I like the fact that it's not going to be, you know, just a progress bar that creeps up over time once you hit the fix it button. Yeah, I mean, the more mini-games that we have mm-hmm. to be able to fix all these individual systems, the more fun it's going to be overall in space. At least, like, you know, the way that they're saying you're going to be repairing all the systems, it certainly sounds fun. I hope it's not going to get to the point where it's the sort of thing you feel you need to do to continually keep the edge, because I can see that that could have the possibility to become boring. But if it is just a case of if you don't mind the odd dental ding, you don't have to repair it, that's cool. Yeah. If it's nothing that's going to actively impact your whole level on that sense then that's great but otherwise yeah i mean it kind of makes sense that everything has a maximum durability as well because there's only so many times you can beat that panel out before that panel is just a shell of its former self well does that mean that you can buy repair panels yeah but i bet they're only going to be available at repair yards you know you won't be able to buy one and install it yourself it's like a dealership right? like a body shop yeah body shops and dealerships they have access to the correct manufacturer body panel right i can go to a junkyard and get one but then i've just swapped one durability problem 
one for another durability problem. If you want the brand newest one, you got to go to a registered official shop or something like that. One way I'm thinking about this is uh, it's an excellent implementation of a death mechanic. Yes. I think it's an excellent punishment for being a bad pilot that you have to play a bunch of mini games to get your ship back in order again. That's a fun thing and a good way to uh, really incentivize you to not get blowed up real good. Or to get blowed up real good. Maybe. Maybe it's just better just to <laughs> respawn. I'm like, yeah. dear God, I'm going to be doing mini games for the next four days. I'll just crash into this asteroid here. Quit wasting time. Just on the episode overall, though, like you said, it was a really good 10 for the designers in this case. And 10 for the writers as well was also really quite good. It seems like they've taken a lot of questions that are specifically for those departments now, whereas before it always felt like a mix of, well, we've got some good questions for the designers, some good questions in general, 10 for the chairman. Let's just see what we can give to the designers. But these ones all felt very design-oriented, and I really did enjoy this episode. Well, don't they solicit them ahead of time that way? Yeah. Yeah, but it just seems that previously they only had, say, I don't know, six decent submissions, and they had to pick four from oh, from previous... the grab bag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah okay, Whereas this okay. one, it all seemed to be really good. Well, I'm looking forward to more posts like this. It was almost as sort of fleshed out as a design doc. Now, again, it was just some designers talking about their goals and their designs for the systems. It's not a set in stone. Haha, <laughs> air quotes on that one. Set in stone as an official design post, but this is a good direction for the repair system to go in, I think, and, and they brought a lot to the table to discuss it. Speaking of bringing a lot to the table, Ben Lesnick recently took to the CIG forums, taking some time out of his schedule to answer a few concerns that have been postulated among the Star Citizen community. In a gargantuan post so large he had to break it down to four separate pieces to fit it on the forum, Ben sets the record straight on just about everything from cries that Star Marine is delayed indefinitely, feature creep, game polish, concept sales, employees leaving the company, what Chris has been up to, and much, much more. Here's the thing. I went through. I was at work, at my little desk, <laughs> typing little things. What you're hearing is me opening up my, my briefcase bag. And I made a note. Uh, I went back and listened to many episodes of Guard Frequency and wrote down on a little piece of paper the timestamps of a variety of conversations that we have had that have touched on many of the subjects that Mr. Lesnick also touched on on his big post. Ben addressed many of these, uh, these, these concerns that we've had and we've talked about, and other folks have weighed in too, most notably a person by the name of Derek Smart of Battlecruiser 3080 fame, I'm using the fame in my air quotes there, notoriety, infamy perhaps. He had many, many things to say about the status of the game, and you have to separate, I think, the message from the messenger. There's a lot of sour grapes in that post, because he's been trying to make Star Citizen for 25 years, and hasn't ever managed to do it. And he brings up a lot of good technical reasons, and I think that's why Ben responded with this you know, really, really thorough post. He brings up a lot of good technical reasons why doing Star Citizen is difficult, but he left it open as to whether it was impossible for CIG. He's given up, but he's left it as an open question whether CIG can pull it off. Lennon or Jeff, have you, have you read that post by Derek Smart that we had in the Gchat channel earlier this week? Uh, no. Yes, yes, and... Uh, I, 
like you said, a lot of it does come across sounding quite sour grapes-ish because 3000 AD, that game, the whole development history of it has been just... A saga. Rocky is the, you know, a loose description. Yeah, exactly. It has just never gone anywhere. It's been terrible. And I think that a lot of it, you did get a sense in the post that he wrote that a lot of it was like almost an arrogance of, oh, if I can't do it, nobody can. Bing. Uh-huh. And it was like, but no offence people weren't throwing 85 million dollars at your project i don't know how much money they actually had i haven't been able to find out you know what their initial investment was but regardless of whether it's 85 million of investor dollars or backer dollars the additional thing that you get with the backer dollars is that's 85 million dollars of passion not just 85 million dollars to go and try and create something so i think the fact that the whole community is basically behind chris and chris's vision even though there are a few concerns it did come across from derek smart as being a bit like i said if i can't do it nobody can right and at the same time though i did think he did raise some good points it was just what little good points they were were just wrapped in bile they're swamped yes yeah no i so we got to separate the message from the messenger a little bit and a lot of people will dismiss it because it is Derek smart and he's got a reputation and he has a history but underneath that (laughs) there are some things i've never heard of the guy (laughs) <laughs> Do you ever play Battle of the Cruiser 3080? Oh, yes. Oh, man. Even the latest version of it, Universal Combat, I got that free off of Steam. Oh, it's terrible. It's supposedly fixed and not buggy, but it's kind of unplayable. You know, Elite Dangerous has a pretty steep learning curve. That's like a learning, like, cliff. Yeah. There is no curve in it. It's just straight up. I must say, though, that Homeworld is fun again. Well, yeah. <laughs> Homeworld's nice. That's sort of a proper game, but... The critique that Smart was making was, number one, the scope is so large that the forest really overwhelms the individual trees. There are so many individual trees that have to go right to make the forest good that you're overwhelmed from the start. Everything has to work together. Everything has to sync up properly. And it's just too much for current computer systems. Basically, he's saying, sorry, Chris Roberts, you're wrong. Modern computer technology can't handle what you want to deploy still. We've said that on this show. I mean, the bandwidth problems that they're having and continue to have with, you know, the network stuff, I still am real curious to see how they're going to fix that. They may not have enough designers and developers to make all the art in the timeline that, you know, we we think that they're going to still maybe try to stick to, sort of. There's a lot that has to go into all that still. They just opened up the Frankfurt office. I mean, they're still trying to expand to keep up with the workflow. There's a lot of challenges here that Smart outlined in his post that make sense. Even from what you're telling me, I'm, I'm going to have to disagree with him. Okay. Let's take one of the most complex kind of space journeys there is out there. I'll use Eve as an excellent example. Because Eve is huge. It's massive. And it's very detailed. And, I mean, you can do an awful lot in EVE. Stuff that last time I played, I just ignored because there was so much to do that I couldn't, you know, do it all. Right. And yet, my computer handles it very well. I think that it's not so much that there's too much data locally. There's too much data that needs to be shared globally with other computers and other players around the world that the infrastructure outside of your box is what the problem is. And that's where I think that they're running in their heads against the wall right now at CIG is that, yes, the object that sits on your desk could run Squadron 42 and probably run it really well. But sharing that experience around the world may still be beyond 
people's reach. And I mean, let's look back at history with Chris Roberts too. That's kind of where some of his previous titles were left, right? I mean, the single player experience was fine. It was great, maybe even. It was fantastic, perhaps. Groundbreaking, but the multiplayer just wasn't there. That's the thrust, I think, of what sort of the problem is, technically and mechanically at CIG, and I think what Smart's argument was. But I want to just take a minute and step back and say, separate the message from the messenger, take those technical points under consideration. We raise them ourselves here on the show. But let's take a deep breath and remember what's going on here. They're supposed to be pushing the envelope. The 64-bit conversion of CryEngine from 32-bit to get the double precision, that's never been done. Their generic instance manager, they had a discussion about that on the forums, one of the programmers, and it's not like a typical instance-slash-server thing that you would encounter in World of Warcraft or Star Trek Online. It's a hybrid sort of a thing that I don't even really understand, but it's new and different, and they're trying something new and different. On the one hand, awesome. That's one of the reasons I backed it, because I wanted the envelope to get pushed. On the other hand, worrying, because it's new and different and hasn't been tried. See Elon Musk, SpaceX, retro rockets landing on barges. Should we expect some explosions to happen? Well, probably. I do. Yeah. I I mean, it's something that's never been tried before. I think when you have the vision, plus the money, plus the technical background, I think all of these problems will be surmounted. I think some of them will be surmounted. I think many of them will be surmounted. I do not think that all of them will be surmounted. I really do think that at some point, and I think that point needs to happen pretty soon, they need to sort of shift focus a little bit from delivering absolutely everything that they've promised and just get something out the door and call it not alpha, not beta, but call it a release of this thing. I say this with all with all love and respect. Stop it. Stop trying to release the entirety of Star Citizen as a thing because that is probably not ever going to really happen the way that it's been described to us so far. Again, I'm going to go back to our lingua franca with Star Trek Online. It has a space game. It has a ground game. And the twain never shall meet. That's not the technology we're working on here. The technology is it's all one seamless environment. But there needs to be probably some compromises made about the first-person universe that might have to do something with, this is the space environment, this is the ground environment, and there's going to have to be some kind of barrier between them. Because I'm sensing that there is a great deal of technical hurdles that, if you break the problem down into smaller pieces, might be solvable alone. That might not be solvable, or at least not solvable in a decent time frame, together. And I think people start need to thinking creatively at CIG about, how can we ship something that is feature complete in itself, even if it's not feature complete as to the entire crowdfunding campaign? See, I'm actually going to disagree with you on that. I think that what they're going for is entirely doable. I think that having a first-person universe where you can transition from a single-person character into a ship within the same environment is completely and utterly doable. Possibly the sense of scale is what will give them a bit of trouble. So, you know, it might be fine to do that if you're limited to a, a map that's sort of like a couple hundred metres square or whatever, but trying to do it on a system-wide scale might be a bit tricky i can see that but again it's all about pushing the envelope pushing the boundaries of what's possible and like you said that's kind of been chris roberts legacy all the way through Lennon, i think you're right on on your desktop i think an individual computer i think you're right i think trying to coordinate that over a global network 
I think may still be a couple years off. Or within two or three years, they may find the solution to some of these problems, but I don't think that the solution is near to hand. And I think that it might be time to look at what's near to hand and what's accomplishable in the next 18 months. What can we do to get something out the door feature complete in itself, contained in itself, in the next 18 months so that we can move and build off that and go forward with it? Part of the problem with Derek Smart and his ilk and their strongest argument is it's taking a long time fascinating. That's very interesting. I mean, Star Citizen's only been in development for three years, and large games take perhaps even twice as long to get out the door. But the problem is that the open development combined with the promises and the tactics that CIG have been taking and using, small releases, iterative, people involved in the alpha process, that is not happening. And that is an unarguable point. It's not happening. They have stopped whatever iterative process has come to a screeching halt over the last few months. And they had a good rhythm going for a little bit. And then the person that was supposed to kind of make the train run on time, Alex Mayberry, departed. And we didn't hear about that from CIG. We heard about that via other channels. And Ben addressed it a little bit in his post. Alex Mayberry is a producer. He's a scheduler. He's not somebody intricately involved in the actual development or the creation of the parts of the game. That's all well and good. He was supposed to manage all those different things and bring those things together and clear deadlocks and dependencies. And his, his job is now being handled by Aaron Roberts, who's supposed to be getting Squadron 42 out the door. Arguably, the one thing that could be completed in an 18-month timeline feature complete in and of itself. So this is where I do separate the message from the messenger on Derek Smart's critique, and I say, this is indicative to me of some pretty serious problems on the production side that need to be addressed. So just kind of going back to the whole thing about pushing the envelope, and I think one of the things that has come up time and time and time again is, firstly, that the Star Citizen initial Kickstarter crowdfunding campaign promised X, and the goalpost to say it's been moved is is an understatement. Sure. It's been dismantled and we're never seeing that goalpost again. So you've got all the people that backed at that point expecting a particular calibre of game which... You know, if you look back at the early renderings, the early videos, it's entirely doable at that sort of quality level. And they were expecting to have something of that nature by now, a lot more further along the line than it is. I think this still comes back to the point that has been raised several times, though, that they won't release modules until they are, like you said, feature complete. And again, for me, it always comes back to we're in an alpha, I expect it to be broken. The problem is we've gone too long without any sort of major update. We've had a lot of bug fixes, but the Hangate module came out, and then the dogfighting module came out, and yes, the dogfighting module was delayed, but it was still timely. The dogfighting module from when it first released to now, it's an entirely different system. Hugely different. You know, the maps are different, the ships Mm -hmm. are different, the way the intelligent flight control system works, all totally different. I don't see what the problem would be in releasing a playable, which we know the FPS module is playable because they play it internally. I don't see the problem with releasing a playable FPS module that we know is going to have to have lots of bug fixes and patches that will eventually change into the module that we're after. And I think that it's just that we've not had any big releases for such a long time that effectively the hype train on Star Citizen is starting to run out. You know, we're promised all this good stuff, the momentum builds and builds and builds, and then nothing's delivered, timescales slip, delays happen, and that sort of brings the train to an almost grinding halt. And then someone like Derek Smart will come out and say, 
basically the crux of his argument is the game in its original state was entirely doable and now it's not so anybody who backed the Kickstarter campaign should possibly get in touch with the Better Business Bureau. Oh, or, no, he wants you to go to the government. He wants you to call the Federal Trade Commission. Well, yeah, sorry, whoever your equivalents are over there, you know, the, the yeah. Trade Commissions, the, the FTC, and yeah. to say, CRG, you damn well I made my money back because you've not delivered on what you've promised. Yeah. That's basically the crux of his argument and that's part of well, what Well, no, hold on, hold on, hold on, Lennon. Yep. Hang on just a minute. He's not saying you should do that. Oh, sorry. But <laughs> if you feel that way, here's the website address and the mailing address and the phone number. You know, maybe you feel that way. I, Derek Smart, certainly don't. Oh, no, I'm not making that argument at all, sir. He was very careful to say that, which is, I think is a little disingenuous. Yes. I'm going to touch on something that's a little bit closer to our pocketbooks, because as CIG continues down this path that they're on trying to fix these different things, of course, they bring up these concept ship sales. Now, people only buy these stuff for as it goes so far when they realize that they're not going to be able to fly their precious ships inside the universe. And I think they really need to step back a little bit and say, okay, what is our current state of the game and how far can we push the idea of, of funding this even more? I think they already have funded it even more. And I think that goes back to the one category of things that we didn't mention last week. I mentioned office leases, office rentals, you know, long-term contracts with supply vendors. The one thing I didn't mention, loans. If you can show a steady stream of income, if you can show a year worth of money-making capability or two years worth of money-making capability, somebody will lend you some money at some sort of interest rate. And you got to make those payments. And that's why we're not going to see the concept sales stop. I'd be willing to bet money that they've acquired lines of credit with financial institutions or some other sort of lending arrangement that has secured them a funding source outside of the crowdfunding. I'm willing to bet money on that. And that's smart. But it also obliges you to keep up with the income stream that you bring into the banker and say, this is how we make money. It works every time. So they're, they're stuck doing these concept sales and they're going to continue to do them. That's working on the presumption that they have loans, though. It's speculation on my part, but I think it makes a lot of sense in this scenario. Again, one of the things that Derek Smart brings up, and you know, I separate the message from the messenger, he tosses around the figure $150 million. Oh my god, you can't make one of these AAA games for less than $150 million. Well, that's not a crazy figure for the total funding that CIG might have access to if you're able to leverage your crowdfunding with some bridge financing of some kind, whether it's a line of credit or some kind of installment loan. Something less than equity, but more than borrowing from the loan shark down the street. It would not surprise me that there were some sort of financial arrangements in place that CIG could tap a future income stream that they intend to have and show evidence of a current income stream. I mean, they're making that money every single time they sell something. Hell, I got $600,000 from the Starliner. And that's a ship, let me reiterate, that's a ship that has nothing to do with Arena Commander. It has nothing to do with the game that we have playable right now. It's not even close to Star Marine. I mean, it's a, a variant of it as a troop ship, but it's not going to be even a thing in Star Marine. This is a thing for the Persistent Universe that's 18 months, bare minimum, away from launching. So I don't think it's crazy to assume that they've got an additional funding source at this point. Yeah, the thing is, though, I think that a lot of the money that is spent on game development, in inverted commas, actually doesn't come from game development. You've got to take into account things like the marketing budget, which, as far as I'm aware, Star Citizen hasn't produced lots of marketing campaigns across various different mediums. and Zero, as far as I know. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's 
all word of mouth, it's all the hype train. So when you take into account, you know, most marketing budgets alone for video games aren't small. And so 150 million is possibly a good figure to make a AAA game, but that then isn't just the game, that's through the launch, through the production of things like going back to Derek Smart's thing, you know, that was a game that originally came on CDs. You have to pay printing and manufacturing costs sure, for that. Yeah. There's all these associated costs. So I think by being smart with your money, that what they have, and also bear in mind, it's what they've got at the moment. It's 85 million right now. Who's to say when the project isn't complete that they wouldn't have raised 150 million through crowdfunding alone? Because what you're looking at is it's the end date when you publish the game, it will have costed 150 million, roughly. We're nowhere near that step. So if we were to look at the amount of money that it would actually take to get this far, if we are plucking random numbers out of the air, 50% of the way through development, we're over that 150 million dollar mark already because, you know, divide away two and there you go. One thing that really, I just want to highlight this bit, because this is one thing that ticked me off about the whole Derek Smart article, is he says it can't be done with current technology, there's no way you're going to be able to do it. He then talks about his past experience and then says, talks about immersion and, and FPS gaming, trying to do the whole... The exact quote was, he envisaged a mix of Elite with Starflight, a dash of Sentinel Worlds and Harden Over. And then he says, the fact that I pulled this off in 1996 while most people were laughing at me or saying how it couldn't be done is something that's been lost in time. So right there, he's saying that the very people who were doing to him in 1996 what he's now doing to Chris Roberts were wrong. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's also, since we're pulling facts out of the air, that 1996 Battlecruiser AD, I bought that. And yeah. I attempted to play it, and I never got it to run. So saying that he pulled it off is yeah. perhaps a version of that is true. History is viewed by you know winners and losers, and, and I don't know what his version of history is. But I remember 1996; I was there, and and very much, <laughs> very much into gaming at the time. And and I remember that Battle Cruiser 3000. It didn't quite work as promised, and and uh, it's still gathering dust on my shelf somewhere around here, and. You know, in 1996, I was also beta testing Jumpgate, and that was one of those. That was one of those games that was also decried as being non-doable at the beginning. And oh, isn't this a cool concept? You know, we're going to multiplayer space simulator, and it did rather well. One of the games that I really expected that I was testing back in the late 90s and first part of the 2000 was BattleTech 3025. That was a cool game too. That was, uh, you know, all, all this tech that was going out. Microsoft. Here's a game that I still play today. But Microsoft built this game just to test the netcode, just to test netcode and see if it could be done. It was called Allegiance, and it was also a space simulator. And they never said they were going to support it fully. They never said they were going to, you know, keep it alive forever. All it was was for Microsoft Research to test online gameplay. And it did rather well. And I still play it to this day. On that note, if you take games that every game that has always pushed the envelope technology wise, the first release is always deemed as unplayable. Look at when Crisis first came out. Yep. That game was like, oh, no one's ever going to be able to play this. You need a machine that's built by God. And it's like, well, no, like these days, any machine pretty much can run that. But at the time, it was utterly groundbreaking and it was pushing the envelope of PC gaming. And that is what Chris Roberts has said he wants to do all the way through. So to expect to be able to play Star Citizen on anything less than really decent hardware, and I'm not talking, you know, you don't need like 
SLI'd Titans to be able to run it. You know, you can pick up a good, a very decent sort of two, three hundred dollar graphics card and still have a good time. But you yeah. do need some decent hardware, and that's just how it goes. Well, and I think the problem is, is that a lot of us focus on the desktop and don't take into account the network that has to connect us all together to make the thing really work. And on that note, we're going to talk about the Big Friday update for first-person shooter module because we've got lots of details regarding animation and gameplay on this update. They've detailed on a number of blockers that are currently uh, impeding their progress related to weapons and stances and so on. The new version of the launcher, they've tested that across all the studios worldwide, and it patched itself and the game client are reported three times faster than the current launcher. So, you know, that's working great. So only one week to patch. <laughs> well, that's for Jeff. And the internal playtest was the first run-through on the freshly developed generic instance manager that we talked about. Um, and um, uh, so, and that was it. What, it was, was it good? Was it bad? Was it indifferent? Ugly? Nice? Arrogant with a woody bouquet and a rosemary finish? Details, people! Details. The generic instance manager is the thing. It is the underpinning that's going to make or break the entire multiplayer experience, and it's the brand new thing. They ripped out the guts of the netcode that they specifically purpose-built for Star Citizen and said, nope, that's not good enough. This new generic instance manager is supposed to be the thing that makes the multiplayer experience, the worldwide experience, go. I have no doubt that Star Citizen will run on a, like Leno was saying, a medium to high-end system. I worry about it running on the web, connecting those medium to high-end systems together. And there's absolutely nothing in that update about the performance of this generic instance manager. That's a problem. Again, I think that needs to be addressed. I was a little bit disappointed not to see that as well, especially when they've said in other posts, the one thing that's holding us back is the networking code. And so the one thing that, personally, I want to see updates on... Don't say a thing about... Yes, Exactly. It's being held back because of feature X. So let's talk about A, B, C, D, E, F, and G. Oh, by the way, there's X. Like, it needed to be, here's how the major blocker is doing, and here's a load of other cool stuff. That's, in my mind, how they should have done it. Having said that, though, the cool stuff that they do demo with all the different gun sites that they've got, and they've got a bit of a poll on the status update post where they want you to vote for what the default should be. It is looking good. Uh, It is looking really good. Oh, no doubt. The last concern that anybody has, uh, I think, is... They are making a playable game. There's no doubt about that. It's not like we're pouring money out of a black hole. They're making something awesome, and it works great on individual computers. Please, CIG, please, if you do nothing else, please start talking about the Generic Instance Manager and how you guys are progressing on the connectivity. Please, 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 please. That's the thing that's been holding us up. That's the thing that was probably a horrendously painful decision. That's the one thing you probably don't want to talk about because it's thorny and ugly and gross and disgusting and terrible. But it's the thing that's probably the most important piece of glue that's going to hold the whole game together. Please talk about it. Please. Please. Thank you. And now it's time for news we didn't use. June Subscriber Flare is now available. Get your very own haul fragment from a Vanduul site. The Origin Jumpworks 300 series of ships are available for test flight now. Around the verse episodes 51 and 52, Sandy's back. Woo! Starliner Q&A Parts 1 and 2. All you could ever want to know about Genesis' finest ship. 
Bug Smashers! Episode 5. Ships stutter no longer. Star Citizen travel mugs are available now from the Pledge Store. The latest entry into Galactic Guide, the Oso System. Our next ship could be a flying pig. Empire Report, Arthur Vin dead. As the old joke goes, I don't think I'll see immortality in my lifetime. Meet the CRG devs, episodes 32 and 33, featuring interviews with Randy Vasquez and Jared Disco Lando Huckabee. 10 for the Riders, episode 4. Area 51 is confirmed. <gasps> oh, conspiracy! And Congress now, quarterdeck crisis. Time marches forward, but politics stay the same. So, Tony, we've been alternating a bit thanks to our Badger handcuffing exploits, which... Yes, no, let's not talk about that. ...are at, a, at an end. That was... Yeah. Well, it was the best well, of times, it was the worst of times, but yes. they were times. They were times. It was real, it was fun, but it wasn't real fun. You yeah. want badgers? I give you badgers. We, we don't want no stinking badgers. Are you talking badgers or badgers? It's hard to tell with a British accent. Who really knows? The main question that I have, though, is in all the time that we've been handcuffing ourselves to small furry woodland creatures, where the f*** is the first person shooter module? We have covered that in depth. Oh, sorry. We have covered... <laughs> I don't listen to the show as we record it. Everyone knows this. So. <laughs> this show has been nothing but about that. So this is what I want to do. This okay. is what we're going to do. We are going to take this segment and we are going to do something more fun with it. We are going to actually play other space sim games. What? And we're going to start with that. Because no matter what your attitude is about Star Citizen, whether you're a believer, whether you're a fundamentalist, rah-rah, Chris Roberts can do no wrong, whether you're a humongous skeptic that gets on the forums to say that this will never happen, or anywhere in between, the one thing you cannot possibly deny is that it has reignited the genre hands down, completely and inarguably. So what we're going to do is we're going to take that enthusiasm and excitement, and we're going to take a look at other games in the space sim arena, primarily. We're not going to necessarily restrict it to that, but that's where we're going to start. And we're going to bring you guys some news from the genre that has been reignited, because that is unquestionably a good thing. And so, you know, you hear us talk about Star Citizen Light, haha, Elite Dangerous, No Man's Sky should be releasing sometime soon. In our early days, we had a, an independent developer who made a game called Void Destroyer. So there's indie projects, there's major studios, there's other crowdfunded projects. Space Sims are back. Oh, geez, how can we forget Wingman's project, Descent, rebooted? Yep. Yeah. I mean, it, it's everywhere. It's well, everywhere. Well, let me so, let me ask you this, Tony. What's what's our definition? Is it going to be Space Sims or is it going to be Space Games? I don't care. I mean, honestly... I think the idea is that uh, Star Citizen has reignited interest in a sort of stick-and-throttle kind of a play environment. So I don't want to restrict us necessarily too much to you know, some sort of pedantic definition, but we're going to start with space sims. We're going to start with stick-and-throttle stuff and go from there. So that's what we're going to do in the future. And so while we're waiting for a first-person shooter module and the network stuff to the glue that's going to underpin what we're going to know as the Star Citizen Persistent Universe, while we're waiting, we're just going to enjoy the fruits that come from the revivication of the genre. So we're going to do that. So that's this week's community question. What's keeping you busy until the vision becomes reality? What space sims or other games should we cover during this segment? Send an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show threads over at robertspaceindustries.com. Now that we're all cut up with the latest news from around the verse, let's see what's up on the Exploration Channel in Nuggets for Nuggets. You have all flown before. 
before, but you're about to enter a whole new world, so pay attention. That means get on your feet, Nuggets. Coming up on Arc Charge Miners. This site ain't gonna get built in time if I have to do it all myself. Elbert has been sitting up in the mining site by himself. When time is of the essence, mining at the belt of Odin 1 is illegal. This is due to the high risk of deadly arc charges. Arc charges are the electrical phenomena that occurs when exposed planetary core's iron-rich content comes in contact with cast-off stellar remnants. Although the UEE has banned mining here, no garrison enforces the ban. He was supposed to be here by now. I don't know why I bother expecting anything out of him. Albert's assistant Feather hasn't arrived yet. He's not too happy about it. That had better be him. What, what what in tarnation is that on the back of his terrapin? Feather has arrived, ready to help, but not in the way Elbert was expecting. Feather! Feather, where you been? Been working here by myself all morning. You're supposed to be here three hours ago. It don't make no never mind setting up a mining operation if them pirates find us. So I took the liberty to stop by Rally Station to get some shielding to block scans so we can mine without them finding us. We don't need to hide, we need to move. Well, you're fretting about being spotted by pirates, which they won't if we ain't here too long. I'm worried about the real problem, which is... What, Feather? What? What's first and foremost on my mind here in Odin? Arc charges. Arc charges. Damn right. I'm worried about getting out of here before we get hit with an arc charge. My scanners show we're in a lull, and we gotta work in the lull, or else we get fried. Oh, come on, Elbert. You never know when them pirates might show up. Besides, he said these here panels block scanners guaranteed. Who'd you buy them from, anyways? How do we know that it wasn't just a. Oh, go, that's loud. Quick, shut everything down! Bird brain featherhead, likely your lollygagging just led someone here to find us. Shutting down a mining operation costs precious time and money. And if they have to cut and run, it will cost them expensive equipment as well. I swear, if we do get jumped by pirates, it's coming out of your share. <laughs> if it's the cops, I'm telling them you're in charge. Safe for the moment from Feather's fear, the miners monitor Albert's scanner. However, detecting arc charges is a developing science at best, and even experienced miners like Elbert can get caught by surprise. Oh lord, why was that? Arc Charge Miners. New episodes available every week on the Exploration Channel. Okay, buddy, what's on your mind? We're all friendly! So let's just be friendly! Some say he has a glitter tattoo of an H on his head, and that he's deathly allergic to the number 7. But all we know is he's called the Shiv, and he'll put together this week's feedback. How would you rate the Genesis Starliner? That's what we asked in episode 78, low those many weeks ago. The team earned 5 stars, or was it 1 stars all the way down? Well, Sean Newboy writes in and says, The Starliner is a very pretty ship, although I have no idea what I would do with it. Great episode, everyone. He who shall not be pronounced, otherwise known as Amontillado, says five stars on the Genesis and the associated gameplay. CIG has taken what many consider to be a throwaway nonsense ship and created an entirely new way to play Star Citizen. People that aren't inclined to combat can find engaging challenges here in the relative safety of secure space. While I don't intend to limit myself to this sort of play, I'm for sure going to try it out. 
The detailed and feature-rich mechanics of the playstyle set an example of what may be yet to come regarding other facets of the game. That makes me excited. As for the ship itself, I like it. Looks good. Seems to make sense. Though I'm still waiting for the lifeboats and safety features. And with all that interior room, promises some pretty cool customization options. I'm a fan. That was about all we had for the uh, Genesis Starliner feedback, but CIG got some pretty good feedback. You know, another half million dollars plus, so yeah, must have worked out, I suppose. The one thing that gives me hope about it is that they have, like Amontillado was saying, taken something that would normally be a throwaway concept in any other game and have actually built a whole series of gameplay around it. And I think that bodes well for other jobs that people might be considering yeah. wanting to do, but in other games they don't necessarily have the systems to support them doing it. Yeah, there was a, a blurb in the uh, June monthly report. We didn't cover that in any detail. There's just uh, a lot of other things to talk about. But there's a blurb in there that uh, Austin team is sort of hammering down the gameplay for search and rescue, among other careers out there. So, I mean, hopefully we'll see some of those things start popping up as we start seeing other ships come out. Ah, I can't wait for that. I know, yeah, me too. I was very encouraged to see that was an official sort of gameplay mechanic career choice that they were actually fleshing out in the monthly report. So that was good news that I saw there. So, hooray! Oh, there was a long video. Maybe we talked about it a little bit, but there was a long video that was uh, James Pugh interviewing one of the designers, Randy or, I guess, artists on the Starliner, and just going through all the different iterations that he had built for the different configurations. Yeah, with the white boxes. It, it was really, really interesting to see all the different interior options that they were considering doing with it. I liked the Battlestar Galactica briefing room, <laughs> conference room. Yes. I guess I got junked, but I liked that. That was a good touch. And general feedback, Clint Nefario, love the episode. Thanks very much. Don't worry too much about the space ponies, boys. Dr. Nefario, oh, any relation of Flint Nefario? Says, excellent episode as always. I love it that the it's not blue bit made it into the final version. And of course, Jeff has a pager. Was there ever any doubt? <laughs> Never. And his brick phone. Yeah, and my brick phone. And his dot matrix printer. Yep. <laughs> A since-deleted Reddit user says, I would give the Genesis at least a five-star, as big a fan as I am of airliners like the 737, 747, 777, etc. Matthew Minsky writes in and says, he lets us know he's working on Star Citizen-themed card game. Sound interesting? Want to know more? Maybe we can have him on Squawk Box segment. Let us know. Listeners of Guard Frequencer may remember Nighthawk Zale. Uh, he reported on a presentation that some CIG artists gave at his art school. So we want to encourage you guys if you're interested in his Star Citizen card game to uh, give him a little tweet at Nighthawk underscore Zale, Z-A-L-E. And if you're British or Canadian, it's spelled Z-A-L-E. Oh, that's, that's not even a real letter. Well, on Twitter today, our friendly neighborhood, First Verse Problems, incited another pun fest. Shiv has gathered the top few, and Jeff, Tony, and I have decided to pick out our favorites, and the winner will get a sticker. The theme this time was Star Citizen movies slash TV, and First Verse, who moments later became ineligible to win his own contest, started off with this gem, which can be found in the show notes. Jeff, can you scroll down? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty amazing. Yeah, it's a picture, and so for the audio listeners, uh, like I said, it is in the show notes. It really is quite funny. Words cannot describe the majesty of what we're looking at. The English language <laughs> cannot contain this image. It it must be seen to be believed. You're not the show posting notes, that. Guardfrequency.com. No. You won't, you won't regret you it. You cannot. <laughs> Jeff, if you were on Twitter, you would know you are a Twitter sensation right now. So It's fantastic. <laughs> Oh. Anyway, KJL Taiwan came up with Andromeda Now. 
Horus of Arabia, and Flight of the Phoenix. Jimmy Crocker, Monty Python, and the Holy Gladius. Nightox Zale says James Bond, Gold Phoenix. Star Signal had James Bond, Starfall, Sunraker, From the Black with Love, Black and I, and Space is Not Enough. Citizen Twitty, Close Encounters of the First Verse Kind. So, there we go. Some quite good ones in there. Some quite bad ones in there. Some great images in there. <laughs> um, uh, uh, no, no it's wonderful. Have a vote on your favorites. Tony, which one would you pick as the winner? I kind of like Taurus of Arabia. I'm leaning towards Taurus of Arabia. Yep. Jeff? Hmm. There are some really good ones in there. I'm having a hard time. I, I, I'm a big Monty Python fan. I like the Monty Python and Monty the Monty Python Holy... and the Holy Gladius. Yeah. yeah. I think it's I think it's two to one Taurus of Arabia versus Monty Python and the Holy Gladius. So bad luck, Jimmy, but well done, KJL Taiwan. A sticker will be winging its way to you shortly. Our new Patreon this week is Richard. Our winner is Helius. Thanks very much for your pledge. We'll put it to good use. Patreon had some payment issues this week across the board, and maybe that did some weird things to your payment info, or maybe not. But in any case there were a few declines, so check for a note from Patreon about it. Always remember, this show is free, so only donate if you can. And thanks for those who have already fixed their info. Shiv did get a return envelope and sent a message over Patreon, so take a look if you were expecting stickers. And we do want to explain why First First Problems is no longer eligible to win the pun contest, because... Lennon. I hired him. We hired him. We did. We did, Lennon. Yeah, it was a well. team effort. Jeff, you had no idea we did this. No, yeah, I did not. And hence why I was taking the blame. <laughs> you two are fired. Fired! <laughs> I want your letters of resignation on my desk in the AM. Letter Jeff email. Come on, get up to speed. Email, that's right. I don't have don't a video toaster. Jeez. <laughs> No, but uh, congratulations to First First Problems. He's going to help us with some art and uh, other mayhem around here. And on that note, the patches have been approved and finalized, and so we'll get the artwork out to you guys and uh, start manufacturing actual patches to give away for Patreon contributors. They're pretty awesome looking, so uh, we'll, we'll get those out to you guys as soon as we can. And this week's community question reminder is what's keeping you busy until the vision of Star Citizen becomes a reality? What space sims or other games should we cover in the Where the F*** is the First Person Shooter module segment? Let us know by sending us an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com or post on our show's thread over at the Robert Space Industries fan site subforum. So how was the show? Did we throw our hands in the air like we just don't care or did it look like we actually cared a little? Either way, let us know. Here are some ways you get in touch with us. Check out our forum post at forums.robertspaceindustries.com. Leave a comment on this episode's show notes at guardfrequency.com. Subscribe to us, feeds.guardfrequency.com, or look us up on iTunes. You can hit us up on Twitter at GuardFreak, or leave a comment and like us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash GuardFreak. And if you're old school like us, shoot an email to squawk at guardfrequency.com. Your feedback's an important part of what we do, so take a minute and tell us what's on your mind. And that brings us to the end of episode 79 of Guard Frequency. We'll be back with episode 80 on July 21st, so be sure to keep an eye out for our shows over at guardfrequency.com or the official Robert Space Industries fan site subforum. Please send us your feedback about the show. Aside from all the ways we just ran down, you can also use the contact form on our website. All the details for all the ways you can get in touch with us and an awesome picture can be found in the show notes. Do you like what we do? Want to help us make the best damn space sim podcast ever? If so, just send a note to squawkagardfrequency.com. And if you just can't get enough spaceship podcasting, why not just check out our sister production, Priority One? They cover the Star Trek online and the greater Star Trek universe. Just go to priority1podcast.com. 
Are you looking for a friendly wingman or two? Check out our organization, Guard Frequency Response, at the official RSI website, robertspaceindustries.com forward slash orgs forward slash guardfreak. And if you're not doing anything Friday nights, well, you should join us live over at guardfrequency.com slash live. We start recording around 11 p.m. Central. That's Saturdays at 5 a.m. GMT. We'd like to thank the entire team, yes, the entire team, now at Guard Frequency and the Priority One Network. Thanks to our community manager, Justin Chivalry Bean Lowmaster, our artist, Ben First First Problem Sanders, and Simon Chorton Edwards, and our audio engineer, Michael Duncan. Thanks to our syndication partner, The Bass, and special thanks to Ronald Jenkins for his permission to use his music in our show. Visit ronaldjenkins.com for more of his work. But above all, we especially want to thank you folks for tuning in. If no one's listening out there, the deep black gets pretty lonely. Reduce thrust. Command two three three zero. Carol one five. Squawk seven seven zero zero. Stay on the guard. See the royal Lennon re. <laughs> yes! It's about time you start recognizing. Time. That's right. Better recognize. <laughs> oh. To get some shielding block scans so we can mine them without some them. Shielding to, hang on. Some shielding Sh- to yep, block Yep, I say it there. Thanks. Well, Shun Norboy? What? Shun Norboy? Shun Norboy. Sticky out, out, or colon sticky out, whatever. <laughs> it's a sticky outy tongue face, Jeff. Shut, what that is. Colon shut sticky up. out whatever. <laughs> colon sticky out. I don't whatever. want to know what is sticking out of Flint Farrier's And and uh, audio note, production note, and command. That is not the title of this episode. <laughs> sticky outy colon. Oh, it, I don't know. No. I don't know. Uh, make makes make good radio, guys. While while I look this up. So, Jeff, you've got a pager. You've got a brick phone. You've got a dot matrix printer. What other antiquities from the IT world do you have? Um, I have some 8088s. I have a couple of uh, 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 3386s. Okay. Um, I have an Amiga video toaster. Uh, A what? An Amiga video toaster. Amiga 4000 with a video toaster module. A video toaster? Is it? Now, just, I'm not quite familiar uh, with a video toaster. Do you remember uh, Babylon 5? Yes. Babylon 5 was all, all that CGI was made on an Amiga with a video toaster. Oh, it's like a dual deck type thing with a computer in the middle. <laughs> I see. Yeah. I see. It's for toasting video. Yes, it's a... Uh, of course, you, these days, Jeff, you say video toaster, and it's usually some sort of Google Hangouts-related food no, object. No, 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 so. that was a that was a, a video or an, an a, a peripheral that you uh, that made CI, um, CGI. Um, I also have a I also have a compact uh, luggable. Oh, uh, well, that's between you and the doctor, Jeff, I'm afraid. Because that's the end, yeah.